25,000 Japanese showed that their females with more than 20 teeth and 30% lower mortality risk than a female who had a smaller amount of teeth. Similarly, males with 20 teeth or more had a 42% lower, lower mortality risk than did males who had no teeth. Similar findings have been uh, observed in the uh, US, Danish, and other Japanese populations. Welcome to Longevity by Design, a podcast designed to give individuals access to the leading scientific information in the field of longevity. The ability to add years to your life and life to your years needs no opinion. Join us as we ask science to take the wheel. In each episode, Dr. Gil Blander joins a co-host and an industry expert in the field of longevity, shining a light and getting the answers to the key question, how can we live a longer, healthier life? Hello, I'm Ashley Raver. Welcome back to Longevity by Design, How to Live a Longer, Healthier Life. We're produced by Inside Tracker, your science-based guide to optimizing your body from the inside out. Today's episode is an ask me anything between Gil and I. We've gathered questions from our interest in the topic of oral health, health span, and longevity, and we're excited to discuss answers to these questions together. Obviously, Gil and I are not dentists. We are scientists. We're not providing medical advice, but hopefully this episode encourages you to take care of your mouth and visit your dentist regularly. Welcome, Gil. Welcome, uh, Ashley. So what, uh, where should we start? What is the reason behind this topic that we're bringing to our second AMA now? Yeah, that's a great question. And actually, it's coming from a pain point that I have. So I have a, a, a horrible uh, oral health uh, issues. I think that it's genetics because my parents and my sibling uh, have a similar issues. I think that I'm spending maybe $5,000 a year at the dentist's office and I uh, have a frequent flyer at the dentist's office as well. I, I visit there like at least once a month, if not more. And uh, uh, it's bothered me so much. So I uh, decided to start looking into that and understand what can I do. And also I become worried that maybe it will uh, influence my uh, health span and lifespan. So I started to research it, and also our amazing producer did that, and yourself as well. And we started to realize that there is a lot of what to know and know and understand about oral health and longevity, and also health span. And we also assume that I'm not a, a unicorn, and maybe a lot of other people have a similar issue. So we said, why not? Let's. Uh, uh, research it and uh, provide some information to our uh, uh, audience about uh, oral health. Uh, so that's the reason, and I'm very excited about that. And maybe, Ashley, you can uh, start by uh, defining what is oral health. Sure. So oral health refers to the condition of your mouth, certainly includes your teeth, your gums, and other structures that you find in that oral cavity. Um, oral health is not just preventing cavities, although that's certainly very important, but also about promoting healthy gums, the freshness of your breath, uh, maintaining enough saliva production. And then we'll talk more about what saliva does a little bit later. And then proper usage of your teeth. So being able to eat and chew and swallow all of those things that we hope we can accomplish with our mouth. 
2016, the FDI World Dental Federation approved a new multifaceted definition of oral health, which is very nice. It encompasses a lot of things. So they define it as the ability to speak, smile, smell, taste, touch, chew, swallow, and convey a range of emotions through facial expressions with confidence and without pain, discomfort, and disease of the craniofacial complex. A lot of words there, but I could say them because my oral cavity works. So go. how is oral health, now that we've done all of this research for this podcast, fueled, of course, by your own curiosity, how is oral health connected to health in the rest of the body, even into health span and longevity? Yeah, so as you mentioned, the definition of the World Dentist Federation noted that uh, oral health is an essential aspect of the overall health and well-being. Whereas uh, poor oral health can lead to various problems, and those including cavities, gum diseases, loss of teeth, and bad breath. Now, poor oral health also linked to more than 50 systemic health conditions, including Alzheimer's disease, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and uh, respiratory issues. Interestingly, the, the link between oral health and a systemic condition can be microbial, inflammatory, or combination of microbial and inflammatory. Additionally, poor oral health is associated with decreased health span and lifespan. And actually, the results that I'm going to describe right now are really astonishing and amazing. And uh, I may feel uh, uh, bad that I haven't uh, uh, learned about them before, because everyone that uh, interested in longevity and health span should know them pretty well. So there are uh, numerous uh, scientific studies showing that those with uh, fewer teeth are at increased risk of death. And there are a few examples for that. One study uh, that they've done in Japan on a big population, around 85,000 Japanese, showed that their females with more than 20 teeth had 30% lower mortality risk than a female who had a smaller amount of teeth. Similarly, in males with 20, 20 teeth or more had a 42% lower, lower mortality risk than did males who had no teeth. Similar findings have been uh, observed in the uh, US, Danish, and other Japanese populations. So again, very strong correlation between the number of teeth that you have and the longevity. Again, I don't think that if you have less teeth, it's immediately you are doomed. I think that the reason for that is it's hard for you to chew. You feel bad. You don't have a lot of social events. Also, it's very hard, harder for you to find a job. It's harder for you to be influencer. And because of that, uh, uh, you basically the secondary effect of that is uh, that you live shorter because you, you have a gloomy life, uh, how, how to chew and how to nourish your body. And because of that, uh, you live shorter. Another interesting uh, paper uh, that follow a U.S. cohort for 15 years compared, uh, again, a group with more than 20 uh, teens with a, a group that have lower than that. And they found that the mortality risk for the group with less than 20 teens was 2.1 times greater than the group that have more than 20 teens. And now you need to understand that uh, there is no any nutritional intervention that show 2x uh, effect on uh, longevity. So we, we are talking so much about uh, nutrition and all of that, but uh, if we think about uh, the dental health, uh, is, uh, is 
even more important than all the uh, or, uh, specific intervention that uh, related to longevity, some exercise intervention did have a, a hazard ratio that is uh, higher than uh, two, definitely smoking and BMI are, but uh, this is very important. It's, uh, it's really surprising and uh, exciting to know that uh, uh, keeping, and maybe scary for me, uh, to, for keeping a, a good dental health uh, uh, related to longevity. I was surprised by it a few times as well when I heard that number because we're you know so excited about ten or fifteen percent, but two hundred percent is pretty pretty intense. It's it's yeah it's it's really um, everyone that listening you need to remember uh, this is serious. It's it's not a joke, and there are a lot of papers. It's not like one paper that was published uh, fifty years ago. Those are good papers that published in different countries, like analyzing data from different countries such as the. Uh, U.S., Japan, China, Sweden, U.K. So it's not only one location, one group. It's it's a pretty uh, good study, and uh, I tend to believe the data. Now, uh, uh, recently, uh, a team in uh, Japan coined the term oral uh, frailty. And uh, what is oral frailty? Oral frailty is a, a new concept that was introduced, as I said, in Japan in 2013, related to oral function. As of uh, 2020, oral frailty is defined as a series of uh, phenomena and processes that lead to changes in various oral conditions, number of teeth, oral hygiene, oral function, etc., associated with aging and accompanied by decreased interest in oral health, reduced physical and mental uh, reserve capacity, and an increase in oral frailty leading to eating dysfunction. The overall effect of decreasing the uh, physical and mental function. So again, very interesting uh, uh, discovery and the uh, oral health is uh, strongly uh, connected to longevity. So now I want to ask you, Ashley, what is the oral microbiome and what should we know about it? That the oral microbiome really refers to the complex and diverse community of microorganisms that live in our oral cavity, not just in our mouth, but that also includes our throat. This microbiome has lots of bacteria, but also maybe viruses, fungi, other microbes that really form the ecosystem that changes. And hopefully, ideally, as we'll talk about it, is pretty well balanced. Um, and the oral microbiome seemingly plays a pretty crucial role in maintaining that oral health, as well as being important for overall well-being. And if you've never thought about your mouth's microbiome, you're not alone. We hear so much about our gut microbiome. But, you know, tomorrow morning after listening to the podcast, wake up. If you run your tongue over your teeth and they feel super slimy, congrats, you've just discovered your mouth's microbiome. That film that forms over your teeth is really from those bacteria that live in your mouth. And that's you know, why most of us need to brush our teeth pretty soon after waking up in the morning. So it is there. And I, I was mentioning to Gil, I think this, your oral microbiome is kind of a few, quite a few years behind where the gut microbiome was or where the gut microbiome is now. It's like new and exciting. And you know, there's a lot of research that is being currently done about it. Some key points to know about the oral microbiome, there's over 700 different microbial species that have been identified in there. So we want to keep a really diverse environment. Um, they all contribute to the stability of that environment, as well as resilience against 
bad actors, perhaps, in that environment. Balancing of those 700 microbial species is important. Uh, healthy oral microbiome is characterized by a balanced and harmonious relationship with all of those different species that we have. And disruptions in that balance can really lead to oral health issues, um, cavities being a big one, periodontal disease, gum disease, which we'll talk about quite a bit today, um, as well as contributing to that bad breath and those slimy teeth. And as I said, it's pretty new research, just like that gut microbiome. There's not a ton of concrete evidence on specific strains or t of bacteria or types of microbes or treatments to really change that. But just like your gut, trying to encourage diversity there and not allow one type of bacteria to become the overwhelming majority is important. Some functions of your oral microbiome and performs a lot of important things certainly can help with digestion since it can contribute to the gut microbiome. Those microbes on our teeth, certainly we can swallow them and they can be introduced to our digestive tract. And our microbes in our digestive tract are certainly incredibly helpful for helping to digest dietary fiber. They can defend against certain pathogens. They can also contribute overall to the development of the immune system. And then some bacteria in the oral, oral cavity are also beneficial in general, just for healthy uh, or just for oral health, I should say, maintaining oral health. For overall health, the oral microbiome is increasingly being recognized for its impact on overall health. Like I mentioned, imbalances in the oral microbiome may be indicative of overall um, oral health, which has been linked to various systemic conditions like cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and even respiratory infections, as you mentioned before. And then hygiene and diet. Obviously, good, good oral hygiene practices like brushing your teeth regularly and flossing regularly, especially before you go to bed, are your best bet for maintaining a healthy oral microbiome. Diet can also play a role, and we'll go into that a little bit more later. Uh, most importantly, just watching your intake of simple sugars um, likely has the biggest impact, which we all know, you know, it's been drilled into us for a long time, it can also be key for avoiding cavities. And then I threw in here again, just going to see your doctor regularly or your dentist regularly, excuse me, once or twice a year or more, if that's what it uh, is necessary, um, especially if you notice any bleeding in your gum. Um, and then research on the oral microbiome is ongoing. We've got lots of interesting studies that are going on all around the world, um, like some of those studies that you mentioned before. Researchers are continuing to investigate the connections to various health conditions and the oral microbiome. At this time, we really just know that it exists and it's probably important, but currently don't spend your money on probiotic mouthwashes toothpaste, chewing gums, tablets, anything like that. We don't have any research to support that yet. Maybe in the future, um, but not currently. But a little, actually, that was a lot of info on the microbiome in your mouth, if you didn't know that one was there. And pivoting now kind of to the relationship between oral health and cognitive health, which is something that I also didn't know until doing a lot of research um, into this topic for the podcast. Yeah, I was also surprised about that. And actually, there is a bi-directional relationship between oral health and uh, cognitive health. And uh, similar to the microbiome, the mechanisms are not uh, fully understood. What is known, the data show that uh, poor oral health, specifically periodontal diseases, is linked to two-fold increase in the risk of developing dementia and 1.5-fold increase in the risk of developing Alzheimer's. Again, it's huge. 
it's a, it's not a joke. It's a two X or 1.5 X. It's a very strong. So suggesting that uh, everyone uh, that worry about dementia, Alzheimer uh, or any other cognitive disease should uh, uh, take it uh, uh, very seriously. But in the other uh, direction, uh, if you have a uh, dementia or Alzheimer's disease, you have higher uh, risk to have uh, poor oral health. And I assume that that's because you are tend to forget to wash your teeth. You often, uh, tend to forget to take care of it. And uh, basically, the bacteria that Ashley uh, described before can have a party without you uh, controlling the party. So it's like a college kids that uh, staying at home for a week and the parents are not around. And you come back and you see a lot of uh, buckets of uh, beer and wine and whatever in there. I believe in so that's the, in my opinion, that's the reason for that. There are a, a few key points uh, regarding the relationship between oral health and uh, uh, cognitive health. First is uh, inflammation. Um, so uh, chronic inflammation uh, have been identified as a common factor in both oral health uh, and uh, dementia, uh, particularly uh, gum disease uh, and, uh, and inflammation in the body including uh, uh, the mouse, may, uh, many co- uh, contribute uh, to systemic inflammation, which is associated with cognitive issues. Also, uh, peridental diseases can contribute to cognitive uh, decline. And some studies have found association between uh, uh, peridental uh, gum diseases and cognitive de- de- decline. Chronic uh, gum inflammation may uh, release inflammatory molecule that could reach the brain and contribute to the neurodegenerative diseases. Again, nobody understands how, but uh, that's uh, the assumption today. As actually uh, discussed before, uh, we have 700 kinds of bacteria in our mouth, and there are uh, some evidence that's starting to appear that uh, uh, oral bacteria and their byproduct may uh, potentially enter the bloodstream and reach the brain. And that's my impacting the cognitive function. Uh, again, the mechanism is not clearly, clearly understood, uh, but uh, a lot of scientists are uh, starting to trying to understand it. Now, interestingly, both uh, cognitive diseases and uh, uh, oral uh, diseases uh, share a lot of uh, risk factors, such as uh, age, diabetes, and cardiovascular diseases. And because of that, it could be that uh, because they have a, a similar uh, risk factor, there is a connection between them. But again, it's not uh, uh, clearly understood uh, uh, today why. And last but not least, uh, there is a, a, a correlation similarly in what we have seen for uh, longevity between uh, tooth loss and uh, cognitive function. And uh, uh, some uh, studies have suggested uh, a strong correlation between tooth loss and uh, cognitive decline. Um, there is a, a meta-analysis study that was published in 2020 and include 356,000 uh, participants and showed that those with a greater tooth loss were at increased risk uh, of cognitive decline, dementia, and Alzheimer's. So again, uh, there is a lot of correlation between uh, those two uh, issues, but uh, the mechanism exactly is not clear. And uh, if we discuss uh, dementia and Alzheimer's, is there any relationship between oral health and uh, cardiovascular diseases, Sasha? 
Yeah, I think this one's probably been around for a little bit longer, more understood, um, or at least more recognized, the relationship between oral health and cardiovascular disease. It's definitely been the subject of research for a while, but there's not been a direct cause and effect that's been established, although there's definitely evidence suggesting a potential association, in particular around inflammation that can happen with gum disease, as well as that oral bacteria. If there are cracks in your gums entering into your bloodstream and causing some impact. So some key points regarding this relationship, again, inflammation being a really big one at periodontal or gum disease um, is a chronic inflammatory condition that causes really bacteria to accumulate and can result in um, a lot of that dental plaque as well as the, again, bleeding in your gums. And this association, even, or excuse me, the um, inflammation, even though it starts in your gums, it doesn't stay there. So it's linked to systemic inflammation. And actually, you know, when I started working at Inside Treca eight or nine years ago, when we were looking at um, causes of elevated HSCRP, having gum disease was something that really could cause that marker to be high for individuals. And that marker is, you know, one way to show that there is inflammation happening in the body. And that inflammation is really, really key in is crucial in developing cardiovascular disease. Bacterial presence is another one. So the oral bacteria entering into your bloodstream potentially through those cracks in your gums, especially again for individuals that have gum disease uh, or for people while they maybe are flossing or brushing. Once that bacteria is in the bloodstream, they can act just like other bacteria. So they might cause an immune response, which is going to cause kind of a cascade of events. Our white blood cells will come out. They're going to be activated, higher elevated um, or excuse me, elevated levels of these white blood cells are also a contributing factor to the formation of plaques in our arterial walls. In particular, one type of white blood cell called monocytes are what specifically invades our cell wall, forming foam cells that can contribute to those plaques forming in our blood vessels. Those plaques are ultimately which leads to what leads to atherosclerosis, the condition of building up of those plaques in our arteries. And that atherosclerosis, again, the key factor is one of those key factors in cardiovascular diseases like coronary artery disease. And that inflammation is really a key piece of that atherosclerotic process along with cholesterol. But that poor gum health, again, can cause inflammation in your gums, but that inflammation doesn't just stay there. It can go throughout our whole body, really fueling the development of these plaques. Endothelial dysfunction is something that may happen. And endothelial dysfunction is really impacting the lining of our blood vessels. It's in, it is associated with impaired blood vessel function and also considered a pretty early step in the development of cardiovascular diseases. Again, some early um, research showing that maybe there's a link between oral bacteria impacting the function of our endothelium. Um, and just like you mentioned for dementia and Alzheimer's, there are shared risk factors between poor oral health and cardiovascular disease. Individuals that smoke have um, diabetes, perhaps poor dietary habits are definitely going to be at risk for both of those things. I also think it's important to state that maybe certain life circumstances or lifestyle factors like lack of access to healthcare, healthy foods, leisure time for being active, definitely are important things to address as well um, as some of the shared risk factors between both of them. That's amazing that uh, so many uh, uh, diseases are connected to uh, 
I'm uh, oral health. So what about the uh, diabetes? Any connection between oral health and diabetes? Yeah, similar. Um, again, it's kind of bi-directional. Just like you talked about for Alzheimer's, it does seem that individuals that have diabetes are more likely to have poor oral health. And the reverse is also true. Individuals with poor oral health may notice um, impaired glucose levels. So their blood glucose levels may be increased. Hemoglobin A1C may be increased. And one of the things, you know, while we were researching for the podcast was also that medications to help diabetics may also not be as effective. So some key points related to the relationship between oral health and diabetes, super strong connection between diabetes and periodontist or gum disease, periodontal disease. There we go. Individuals with diabetes are at an increased risk for developing it. Untreated gum disease can make it definitely more challenging to manage those blood sugar levels as well. Um, inflammation, both diabetes and gum disease involve inflammation, that chronic inflammation in the body, just like for um, cardiovascular disease, can affect the development as well as the progression of diabetes. Um, in turn, diabetes can also contribute to an exaggerated inflammatory response, which can potentially make gum disease worse. Poorly controlled diabetes can certainly or obviously can lead to high blood sugar levels, which can further promote that bacterial growth and increase the risk of certain gum disease, um, as well as potentially cavities. Treating and managing gum disease also is something that can contribute to better blood sugar control in individuals with diabetes research. For oral infections, diabetes can reduce the body's ability to fight infections generally, and that includes infections that we have in our mouth. So this makes individuals with diabetes potentially more susceptible to those oral infections, including infections that we can have in the gums. And this one I thought was interesting. Dry mouth diabetes, as well as some medications for diabetes, can contribute to dry mouth. Reduced saliva flow is something that can increase the risk of cavities, as well as other oral health issues, because our saliva has all sorts of things in it. It helps to neutralize some of the acids that we find in food. It obviously helps to um, lubricate and moisten food as we're eating it, help to swallow it, but it also washes those food particles away from our teeth. It can help to prevent some of that overgrowth of harmful bacteria. It also contains lysozymes, which are immune factors that, you know, our mouth is kind of our first line of defense against eating things that can potentially cause us harm. So low levels of saliva can certainly influence our oral health as well. And then again, shared risk factors, just like we talked about for Alzheimer's, dementia, and cardiovascular disease, smoking, poor diet, and again, lack of access to regular dental care or healthcare in general, are all things that can influence both of them. And one thing I would say is super crucial for individuals with diabetes to be proactive in managing their oral health, working really clo closely with both their dentist and their healthcare provider, maintaining that good oral hygiene practices, managing blood sugar levels, and seeking treatment for any oral health issues are really essential components of overall diabetes care. Um, just like, you know, you may also start taking better care of your feet, same thing is true of, um, of your mouth. Um, and one thing I, you know, I think is interesting is that including your doctor, you know, not just thinking of them taking care of your teeth, but thinking about them as part of your larger healthcare um, team. They may be the ones that identify that you do have more inflammation in your mouth. So it might be worth talking to your doctor about diabetes, really going to get a checkup maybe on your cholesterol levels to see how it is influencing um, your overall heart health. I mean, I can remember learning at school a long time ago that um, dentists are really 
the people, some of the first people that may recognize that individuals are struggling with bulimia, a type of eating disorder, as the acidic food from our stomach comes up and starts to erode some of our teeth. So your dentist is definitely part of the big overall healthcare team, not just, you know, someone you might see once a year to help with those hard things sticking out of your gums. And, and, and one comment about that, uh, Ashley, uh, uh, related to prevention versus treatment. So a lot of us are uh, not happy with the healthcare system that they basically it's treating the disease and someone that is not sick, like hopefully all of us are coming to the clinician and is uh, basically kicking us out of the office. We say, hey, you are healthy, go home. And we want uh, to be even better and optimized. While uh, when you think about the dentist, a lot of the work that they are doing is prevention. They are uh, uh, scanning your teeth with their eye because they can see it and they're coming with, hey, let's uh, monitor uh, this uh, t- uh, tooth because uh, there is something, but just monitor and hopefully if you brush it better, it will be better. You have the hygienists that they help you to clean it and uh, make it better. So I think that in a way, uh, uh, I haven't thought about it before, but uh, preparing to this episode, uh, the dentist is more uh, in the size of a, a side of a prevention than only treatment like what we see in the, let's say, the uh, American or the U.S. Uh, healthcare system. So uh, it's very encouraging that they are uh, trying to help us to prevent uh, diseases and uh, live better longer in a way. And when I went to the dentist last month, they actually started taking blood pressure. I'm sure it's perhaps because they can then bill insurance to take your blood pressure. But I was super excited that I had one more checkpoint yeah. in the year just you know, on my blood pressure to make sure I was still okay. I don't know if something happened that triggered that, but I was happy that it happened for me. <laughs> no, no, it's a, as I said, I'm a, a frequent flyer at the dentist's office and they, they're doing it in the last few years. Yeah, they are measuring your gotcha. blood. And I agree with you. I agree with you. I'm a, every time that they're doing it, I'm entering it into uh, the right application to uh, maintain it and uh, basically monitor my uh, blood pressure. So it's uh, definitely very good that they're doing it. As a Longevity by Design podcast listener, you understand the value of improving your health for today and for all the years ahead. And if you want to live your healthiest, longest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside. At Inside Tracker, we take a personalized approach to health span optimization that eliminates guesswork from your wellness plan. Inside Tracker analyzes blood biomarker and DNA data, along with physiomarker data from fitness trackers like Aura Ring, to deliver personalized food, supplement, lifestyle, and exercise recommendations that allow you to take control and improve your health span. And for a limited time, Longevity by Design listeners can get 20% off at the Inside Tracker store. So if you're ready to receive a personal health analysis and data-driven wellness plan to optimize your body for the long haul, then it's time to start inside. Visit insidetracker.com slash podcast to get started today. That's insidetracker.com slash podcast to get started today. Let's pivot to some things that we can all do and should be doing to improve our oral health, like going to the dentist regularly. Yeah, so... Again, that's something exciting, uh, maybe the most exciting part of this uh, episode because we scared you with uh, dementia and the cardiovascular diseases and the short longevity and diabetes. But the question is, so what? What can I do about it? And it sounds like you can do a lot. So we will try to cover here uh, a few uh, intervention or improvement of the intervention that you're already doing in order to uh, allow you to improve uh, oral health and hopefully allow you to uh, live a, a better longer. 
So the first uh, point that we would like to discuss is uh, I heard a lot of people asking uh, when to brush in the morning, before or after breakfast. That's a question that I'm asking. I used to ask myself, and I know that a lot of people are uh, asking. Um, so it's not the answer is not uh, uh, very uh, defined depending on the condition, but uh, uh, depending on a, a different factor, uh, we can. Uh, provide you some information when to, to brush your teeth in the morning. So it depends whether you eat breakfast or you don't eat breakfast. It depends what you have in the breakfast. So some uh, breakfast statements like uh, orange juice, coffee, tea are acidic. And uh, brushing your teeth right after uh, eating or drinking acidic food can cause damage to your uh, uh, tooth amide. So uh, the American Dental Association recommend waiting at least 60 minutes after eating or drinking acidic food before brushing your teeth. So if you drink coffee, tea, orange juice, don't brush your teeth immediately after. What you can do is wait 60 minutes or brush your uh, uh, teeth before uh, you eat your breakfast. If you don't have time to wait, as I said, it might be the best to brush your teeth uh, before eating in the morning. And uh, for those of us, who don't drink coffee, tea, or orange juice, or with other uh, acidic food, washing after breakfast can uh, help you to remove food particles and plaque build up while uh, freshening your uh, breast. So that's about that. Again, it's not a clear-cut answer, but uh, as we know in uh, uh, a lot of things in uh, life, especially in our complex body, are not clear-cut and depend on the condition of what you do. The second is a big uh, argument. In my house, my husband has to brush his teeth the second he wakes up and he thinks I'm gross that I don't brush him until a little bit after breakfast. So it sounds like we're both right, actually. It depends on if you drink uh, coffee at your <laughs> or uh, yeah. orange juice. But yes, but yeah, yeah. Theoretically, <laughs> both of you are right. Then the, the <laughs> second point is uh, how long to brush. And I didn't know before I, I did the research and I realized that it's two minutes. And then the question is, how do I know that I'm brushing for two minutes? And uh, uh, also, it's not only that. How do I know that I cover all the, the teeth in the right uh, amount of time and also right pressure and all of that? So technology is here to help us. And uh, recently, a few companies came with a, a smart a toothbrush that connected to an app that literally I, I bought such a, a toothbrush a, a week ago. And uh, it, it is a, a revolution for me because basically you brush your teeth and uh, it's telling you, okay, move to the next one, move to the mm-hmm. next one, show you whether you brush it uh, uh, enough time or not, show whether you apply the right uh, pressure or too little pressure, uh, show you if you're scrubbing or not. So um, I recommend such a toothbrush to someone that they uh, have a, a, a issue, a, a dental issue like myself or someone that really want to live better longer, someone that uh, uh, really like the insert tracking or that really want to uh, uh, beat the holes and live to 120, yes, and then uh, uh, buy such a, a toothbrush is also a nice toy. I like to have those toys like that, like a smart mm-hmm. refrigerator and other. So it's cool to have it. It's, it's definitely in the last week that I'm using it, I feel that I, uh, my teeth are much uh, cleaner. But I think that uh, even with a normal toothbrush or even normal uh, uh, electric toothbrush, you can do it. It's, it's, it will be a bit harder because you need to count, you need to train yourself and so on. 
Then another question that uh, uh, we struggle with is, uh, should I use a fluoride uh, toothpaste? So here the answer is uh, yes. It is recommended to use a fluoride toothpaste. Uh, fluoride is what uh, protects the teeth from a, a, a tooth decay that lead to cavities. Using toothpaste with a fluoride is uh, helpful to prevent decay and uh, help you to maintain the MI in the tooth. So definitely a fluoride toothpaste is good to have. Another question that I assume that uh, it's intuitive, but uh, anyway, we'll uh, uh, respond to that is, uh, uh, should I floss and how often should I floss? So the recommended time is uh, once a day. And uh, it's help you, the flossing help you to cleaning uh, between the teeth, help to remove uh, food and uh, remove plaque, which is uh, also part of a good oral hygiene routine. And if you don't do that, the plaque can uh, start to accumulate and a cotterum clack that's called a tartar that uh, stay there and then that can uh, cause a, a decay, uh, gum diseases, and make you even uh, uh, painful to chew. And even at the end, they can cause a tooth loss. So uh, definitely it's important to uh, floss at least once a day. Now, some people uh, uh, don't like to floss or it's really hard for them or it's painful to floss. So there is a solution for you, and that's called a water prick, a prick or a water flosser. And uh, it is a, a pretty beneficial, and the, the benefit for that is uh, allow you to have a, a effective uh, cleaning. Uh, it's provide a gentle and effective way to remove debris from the uh, uh, plug. So uh, similar to floss, but it's uh, uh, easier, faster, and uh, uh, user friendly. Uh, also, another advantage of that is that it uh, has an adjustable pressure. So if it's uh, too strong for you, you can adjust the water pressure. And uh, if it's uh, not uh, strong enough for you, you can adjust it uh, higher. So definitely, uh, water prick is something that I recommend uh, uh, um, our listener to use if uh, you want to be better. Uh, I'm using it for uh, a few years and... Uh, it's pretty easy and fast way to clean your mouse uh, in a very short while of time. Another question is about uh, mouse wash. And this one is uh, a, a tough question because it's, uh, it's not a straight uh, forward. And also there are a, a different type of mouse uh, a wash or mouse uh, rinse. One of them is the cosmetic one and the other is the therapeutic one. Uh, the cosmetic one, uh, uh, basically, as we said, it's like cosmetic, like what you apply on your uh, face when you want to look good. It uh, might uh, uh, prevent the uh, bad press uh, uh, and might uh, leave a, a pleasant taste, but uh, there is no uh, eff effect or you're not treating the cause of the bad breath or the uh, uh, non-pleasant taste that you have in the mouth. Uh, because it doesn't have a, a chemical or biological uh, unit that uh, help you to receive the benefit. But they are, uh, the therapeutic one uh, have the, this activity and it can uh, basically control the amount of bacteria in your mouse. Um, for a long time, uh, actually out, up until uh, recent years, 
uh, evidence and expert opinion support the concept that uh, removing pathogenic uh, species uh, from the oral cavity with uh, a mouthwash should also uh, constitute good oral hygiene. However, recently, uh, we understood that uh, uh, it's not only the bad bacteria, but also the bacteria uh, diversity. And it's very similar, as Ashley said, to the gut microbiome, also the oral microbiome. You have some uh, good bacteria and you have a bad bacteria, and it's not only actually bacteria. You have fungi, you have archaea, you have uh, protozoa, you have viruses. All of them are uh, located in our mouse. You need to understand that our mouse is, when you open it, everything can go in. And uh, also interesting about the mouse is that you have a different level of uh, oxygen. So immediately in the mouse, you have like 21% oxygen, like what we have in the, in the air. But in uh, uh, some cavity and other places, there is a, a lower amount of oxygen. So there is a different kind of uh, bacteria or so other creatures that live in a different uh, location or different uh, exposure of uh, oxygen. Uh, and uh, we need to understand that. As Ashley said before, we are not really understand fully what's happening in our uh, gut, uh, sorry, uh, mouse bacteria. By the way, I don't think that we understand fully what's happening with our gut bacteria either. So we have a lot to learn about that. And uh, uh, because of that, it's not clear whether a, a, a mouse wash is a, a, a positive or negative. The current recommendation is uh, uh, using it uh, once per day is okay. I would uh, recommend you to use the cosmetic one and not the therapeutic one when you use it without a, a dentist recommendation. If uh, the dentist recommend you to use the therapeutic one, it's good. Usually you use them when you have a, 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 a serious dental procedure and you want to maintain the, the, the mouse clean of the bacteria as much as possible, but very similar to antibiotic that we use for the gut microbiome, it's not a, a recommended to have a, a, to wipe out all the bacteria because then you don't know which bacteria will colonize it first and whether it will be the good one or the bad one. And as I said, we don't understand yet which are the good and which are the bad. So the best advice is, yeah, if you want to use, use the cosmetic one, and do, but don't use it every two hours, use it once a day. And if you use it, um, use it uh, uh, in moderation and not too much. So after this uh, long uh, discussion about what can you do, and as I said, you can do a lot, Ashley, you are an expert in nutrition. So can you describe about the uh, influence of uh, nutrition on oral health? Sure. And this one, you know, I feel like we're all more comfortable maybe thinking about certain foods that can have an impact on oral health. Definitely the foods and beverages that we eat can have a significant impact on not just our teeth, but also gums and overall oral cavity. Some things to think about related to nutrition, tooth decay and cavities. Um, I feel like I saw so many commercials growing up about sugary foods, super starchy foods, um, especially before bed. If you don't wash your, or if you don't brush your teeth, that that sugar is really a food source for those bacteria in your mouth. So if there are, uh, if there is a lot of sugar that's left on your teeth, those bacteria can eat it. 
and produce acids that can lead to tooth decay. Ultimately, that's what can cause um, those cavities to form. So limiting intake of sugary snacks and drinks. And definitely if you're having them before you go to sleep, brushing your teeth to try and brush off that sugar before your more dormant period when you don't have as much saliva helping to wash that off of your teeth is important to reduce tooth decay. Um, for gum health, the nutrient that's most, probably most important is vitamin C. Other than, you know, making sure you're eating a well-balanced diet that provides all of the vitamins, minerals, and protein. But vitamin C in particular is really important for gum health because it's required for the formation of collagen, which is a type of protein found in really, really high amounts in our gum tissue. Um, we all have probably heard of scurvy, which is the condition caused by a deficiency in vitamin C that causes gums to bleed. This is incredibly rare for anyone in the United States to have, to be super deficient in vitamin C, which we find in lots of products. It's been added, but also naturally in fruits and vegetables. But I did hear a few years ago about a case of a college student that decided to live just on ramen noodles, no fresh fruits or vegetables in their diet. They developed scurvy. Um, so they had bleeding gums, bad gum health. So as long as your diet isn't 100% ramen noodles, you might be okay. Calcium and phosphorus are two that are important to essential minerals for maintaining strong tooth enamel. We can find those in a lot of products, dairy, leafy greens, nuts, all good sources of them. And including them regularly in your diet are really important to just maintain the strength and mineralization of your teeth. Calcium is not just found in large amounts in your bones, it also is in your teeth as well. And certain diets like a raw vegan diet might lead to not taking in enough calcium and can cause some of that calcium to be resorbed from your teeth back into your bloodstream since all of those teeth are connected to um, your bloodstream. So that can definitely cause weakening. They can become much more susceptible to cavities as well. So um, actually, and, question, question about that, about the calcium. So postmenopausal women are more, uh, have a higher risk for cavity in that case? I don't know if the resorption, I don't know if there's research on that. In theory, perhaps, since the rate of calcium lost from the bone accelerates postmenopause, That'd be interesting to look if perhaps that's a connection that we also see. It's hard to tease out because, as you said, age is one of the factors that is also one of the big, biggest contributing factors to the development of that as well. But pregnancy is another thing that if your calcium intake is very, very low, usually during pregnancy, your body drastically increases the amount of calcium that it absorbs when you eat food. But if your calcium level is, or calcium intake is super low, you can't really increase that much. Of not much can be absorbed if you're not eating that much. And there's also cases of women developing more cavities during pregnancy if their calcium intake is incredibly low. And you're growing all of the teeth and bones for a baby, and they're going to take that calcium if you're not eating enough of it. Hydration is another important one. Drinking water, as we talked about, saliva production is really important. We have some bicarbonate in our saliva that helps to neutralize acids from food. It helps to wash away those food particles, moistens our food, helps to lubricate the food as well as our um, oral cavity and throat for swallowing that. It also contains, um, saliva also contains some enzymes that help us start to digest carbohydrates and fats in particular. And then also has some of those um, lysozymes in it, which can kill more harmful bacteria. So preventing dry mouth as much as possible, having enough fluid in your, in your day, having enough hydration in your day is important. Um, acidic foods and beverages, 
in moderation are probably fine. Um, but knowing that more acidic foods might contribute to some of that erosion on your tooth enamel can make those teeth more susceptible for those cavities to form. As Gil mentioned, if you're having really acidic foods, maybe doing a mouthwash afterwards um, can help to have, uh, can help to minimize the impact on that. Vitamin D goes hand in hand with calcium. Your body requires vitamin D to be able to absorb calcium from the digestive tract. Um, so sun exposure is um, a great way to make sure that your body is able to produce enough vitamin D. Certain foods like fatty fish or fortified foods, uh, fortified dairy or non-dairy products are good sources. And then just overall balanced diet. You always have to put a plug in there for that. Um, a balanced or varied diet that contains lots of fruits and vegetables, whole grains, lean proteins, um, fortified dairy products or dairy products definitely can support not just your oral health, overall general health and well-being. As we talked about with cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and Alzheimer's, a lot of those are, you know, it's a two-way street. So if your diet can help to prevent those things in some respect, can also be um, influential for maintaining a good oral health. And just important to note, poor nutrition can certainly compromise your body's ability to resist any type of infection also that also applies to those infections in your mouth. Um, how about physical activity, Gil? Any connection between oral health and physical fitness? Yeah, so uh, the connection is uh, less uh, strong as uh, nutrition, but still there are a few uh, points to consider. The first one is uh, nutrient absorption. So when you have a good oral health, it's easier for you to absorb the right nutrient that you need to absorb. But if it's not good, uh, it will be hard for a, a person to absorb the right nutrient. So bad oral health might uh, say bad absorption of the right nutrient that will allow you to have uh, the right uh, nutrient for to perform the physical fitness and uh, be in your top performance. Uh, the second point is the uh, inflammation and the systemic inflammation. So uh, oral health condition, uh, particularly gum diseases, have been linked to systemic inflammation. And uh, then that's called a uh, chronic inflammation in the body. And as you mentioned, increasing the uh, HSCLP, which is a marker that we love at Insotrocal, and uh, or love that when it's low. And uh, that can uh, negatively impact uh, physical fitness and uh, athletic performance. And we know that there is a correlation with very high inflammation and uh, low performance uh, and maybe fatigue. And even uh, you can uh, get injured more. And the last point is uh, respiratory health. So as we know, the oral cavity is connected to our lungs. And uh, if you don't have a good oral health, uh, that can uh, basically... Uh, spill into uh, the lungs and cause some bacteria uh, to get into uh, the lungs. And this can uh, potentially affect the respiratory function, which is critical for fitness, as we know. And actually, there, are, there is a systematic review that have done in 2020 that reported that a poor dental uh, or health negatively influenced uh, physical fitness, balance, and cardiorespiratory uh, function. And there is another study, a cohort uh, study that uh, have done uh, in 28, that look at the uh, 2,000 older people in Japan and found that people with uh, oral frailty were at risk of uh, physical frailty, sarcopenia, severe condition requiring nursing care, and uh, their so. Basically, there are some correlation between uh, oral health and uh, uh, physical uh, performance. 
And uh, I think that uh, everyone should uh, take it seriously. So if I'm trying to summarize uh, what uh, we learned from uh, this uh, AMA episode, is that uh, oral health is very important. We've seen uh, a very significant correlation between uh, poor oral health and the shorter lifespan. We've seen also correlation between oral health and dementia, cardiovascular diseases, uh, diabetes, and the other uh, uh, diseases. Uh, we also uh, have discussed a lot of ways to improve the oral health. So again, it's not uh, like I have a bad gene. It's, uh, it, I can come and say I quit, or I can come and say I can uh, try to fight it. And there are a lot of uh, tools in our arsenal to fight it and uh, improve our oral health. And uh, uh, part of it is nutrition, part of it is uh, a, a lifestyle, part of it is uh, maintaining the oral health. Definitely the dentist and the hygienist can help you with that. But uh, 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 the high, uh, in high level, uh, nobody should raise his hand and say, okay, I, I surrendered, I cannot do it. Uh, you can definitely uh, do it and uh, try to improve your own health as much as you can because the uh, oral health, and it was surprising for me and I think for you as well, Ashley, it's uh, have a big impact on uh, a lot of uh, processes, diseases, and at the end they convert into uh, longevity, poor oral health, equal low lifespan or a low end span and all of us want to live uh, better longer yeah and there's so many things within our control as you went through um that we can do to have a positive impact dentistry they did it you know, they did a great job of first goal keep teeth in people's mouth and now it's nice to see how some of the research for um, dentistry is shifting to not just um yeah, I think they've got it. Go to the dentist, take care of your teeth. Your teeth will stay in your mouth a little bit longer. Now we can see how all of the other things in that oral cavity, um, taking care of them, can have a bigger impact on overall health and longevity too. Yeah, no, I, I agree. So um, I think that we can uh, finish here and uh, uh, thanks our listener to uh, listen to this episode. And uh, thank you so much, Ashley, for uh, co-hosting this uh, episode with me. And I want to thank uh, our, uh, a, a new producer, Gavin, for uh, helping us doing the research and finding uh, this fascinating uh, information. And uh, I hope to have you guys uh, coming and listening to our uh, future episode and past episode and uh, enjoy the uh, wealth of information that's available in the scientific community that we are trying to communicate to you. Thank you so much. Hey everyone, welcome back to Longevity by Design. I'm your host, Ashley Reaver. This episode is an Ask Me Anything between Gil and I. In this episode, we explained what oral health is, its importance, and how oral health is related to overall health, well-being, and longevity. We also discussed the oral microbiome and what is currently understood about it. We delved into how oral health is linked with cognitive health and diseases such as dementia and Alzheimer's, as well as cardiovascular disease and diabetes, we learned a lot. We also discussed some key things to do for oral health and preventing oral diseases, as well as the influence of nutrition on oral health and the intriguing link between oral health and physical fitness and function. This episode was really fun to record, answering some of your questions. Thank you for your continued support, and don't forget to rate and review the podcast. 
Thanks for listening to Longevity by Design. Please subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or YouTube. Longevity by Design is powered by Inside Tracker, a personalized health optimization platform that helps people improve their lives by improving their bodies from the inside out using personalized, science-backed recommendations for nutrition, supplements, and lifestyle changes. To learn more, visit InsideTracker.com slash podcast.